0: hello again friends welcome or welcome back if you're a return listener welcome if you're a new listener this is the overview effect with james Perrin. this is the podcast where i like to have big philosophical broad bold conversations about the things that matter with people like leaders entrepreneurs activists environmentalists visionaries amazing people not just about who they are and what they do this isn't how i built this why they do it how they see the world the moments that shaped them i'm your host james perrin i would like to start by acknowledging that this podcast and today's episode was recorded on bunjalung country i want to pay my respects to members and elders of the bunjalung community and all first nations people around australia and the world now today's episode was the second of three headline conversations that i hosted at renew fest back in may and it was incredible to just listening back, it was incredible to have this assembly of, of energetic and progressive people that were gathering, that were showing up to drop into these purposeful conversations. We really, really need this in society. So I really love having this crowd, this energetic crowd as a backdrop to today's conversation. My guest today is a civil and environmental engineer. She is an academic, a lecturer, researcher. And she was Australia's first female Muslim MP in the New South Wales House, and now she's Australia's first federal Muslim senator. In this conversation, she shares her story of migrating to Australia in the early 90s with her husband and then one-year-old son, and how coming from Pakistan, she just expected Australia to be this place that had it all figured out. You know, like, we're this developed and wealthy country, we've got these great global measures of success in terms of things like GDP and life expectancy and these numbers that we we hit. And she tells her when she got here, she had these rose-colored glasses, but very quickly experienced something different. She experienced what it's like to be treated differently for being different. For example, not just explicit racism, but the institutional racism of not being able to get a job, despite being a highly qualified engineer and the need for engineering jobs, and being told that, well, you don't have Australian experience, so you can't be an Australian engineer. She basically found that the struggle for equality is universal. Now, being an engineer myself, I have been, quote unquote, trained to solve problems. Honestly, this is what I was told all throughout my studies, here's a problem find the, the parameters, the set of numbers that represent or express the problem at hand, find a way to crunch the numbers, find a formula that you can plug those numbers into and solve that problem and then you can take that same formula and move on to the next problem and solve these isolated issues. Now, my guest is an engineer too, but we don't talk about her, the, 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 the isolated problems or the agenda items that she's trying to address as a politician, we talk about big issues, really big issues like racism and sexism and environmental destruction and where they're coming from, the root cause, not the band-aid. We talk about how these are not problems that can be solved with a program or a set of numbers from that engineering mindset. These issues are not isolated. They're coming from the same place, the same mentality, which is our lack of connection and relation to this planet and each other. We can't solve these issues by having isolated solutions. She shares that when facing these societal issues that we all have choices and those choices include yes who we vote for and the leaders that we put in place at the top or to represent us and from the bottom up we also can take actions by showing up and being part of grassroots community campaigns that we support and how these processes actually work and create change they just need a consistent effort so with that please enjoy this conversation as well as the energy from the live crowd in the background at renew fest with federal senator marine faruqi What a wonderful day. What a beautiful day. How wonderful to gather here together. It's very exciting. Um, My name is James. I'm very blessed to be part of this festival. The RenewFest team have welcomed me in um, to hold some of the headline conversations with our wonderful headline guests. Uh, Just by way of quick background, I'm a chemical and environmental engineer, sustainability manager, and I've been running a Uh, podcast for the last nine or so months called the overview effect the overview effect is this experience that astronauts have when they first go off into space and they look back on our earth for the first time and from a distance they see earth from space and they describe it as this paradigm shift this profound experience this overwhelming sense of emotion and connection to our planet and the beings that inhabit it so my podcast and the conversations i hold are very much about big picture conversations on environmentalism and humanity and nature and i'm very very grateful and excited to be able to hold another one today so here we are with senator maureen faruki marine is a yes welcome That's <laughs> thank you <laughs> marine is marine is a civil and environmental engineer uh, an academic professional phd researcher lecturer um, and In 2013, she became Australia's first Muslim female MP in the New South Wales Parliament. And then in 2018, she became our first female or first Muslim at all um, senator in our federal parliament. She has campaigned on a massive range of issues, um, including but not limited to social housing, animal welfare, public education... Um, And most of all, fighting sexism and racism in all forms. Please join me one more time in welcoming Senator Maureen Faruqi.
1: (laughs) Thank you, James, and thanks, everyone.
0: Um, I would like to to start, if I can, we've got a few things I want to cover today, and we'll see where this goes. But I'd like to start, if I can, with a bit of a personal story. So thinking about that that overview effect concept that I, I talked about just before, and those astronauts that had some sort of moment or experience that really shaped the way they see the world. Have you had a similar moment in your life, or a period of time perhaps, that's really altered and shaped your perspective on the world?
1: Could I just start by saying that what a privilege it is to be with you all, being surrounded by such love and friendship, which I must say is quite different to the workplace that I'm in at the moment, which is the Senate of Australia. Uh, And before I answer James' question, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners um, of where I am and pay my respects to elders past and present. This land was never ceded. We are on stolen land. It is, always was, and always will be Aboriginal land. And I just want to also add that, you know, as we acknowledge our First Nations people, I also want to recognize that we cannot have social or environmental justice, without racial justice. And we cannot hope to have racial justice without First Nations justice. So, you know, as we strive in our various places, as we struggle for social um, equality, for environmental equality, I think we need to make sure that First Nations people and voices are front and center of that struggle. Um, uh, James, I was really fascinated by the podcast that you do, Overview. And, you know, that idea that when people went into space, they saw the Earth and they saw the connection. The other thing that they saw as well was the isolated nature as well of planet Earth and that it it had limitations in terms of how much we could exploit it for our own good. Uh, but I think everyone has moments in life which probably change the way they think or their trajectory in life. And for me... It was migrating to Australia, uh, which I did in 1992. I came here with my husband, my one-year-old son, and two suitcases. And it's a pretty standard migration story, really. Um, And it changed my world in many ways, I guess, which I didn't realize when, you know, I was in my 20s when we came. And, you know, when you're that young, you don't think much about things. It was a bit of an adventure. There were other reasons as well why we migrated partly it was because of the corruption that had set in in Pakistan and we grew up in a household with very strong values on honesty and integrity Um, and I just my husband and I thought we can't bring up our kids um, when there is so much corruption rife you know in the system we teach them something and their life is going to be a huge struggle when they grow up and go into a system where they have to fight again so You know, we viewed growing up, we had this view of the global north or the western world um, that there had been equal. I hadn't actually left Pakistan till I left for Australia. And the view of the world that we had grown up with was that all the problems were in our countries, the the global south and the global north or western countries um, or mainly, you know, countries with white people. Um, Had done it so much better than us, and you know, there was equality in everything, um, and there was no corruption, and politicians were honest. Well, exactly. Um, So, imagine my shock when I arrived here and I had to take off my rose colored glasses slowly. Um, But I must say, and you know, like you break your connection, obviously, we came here thinking, you know, we'll try it out, and if it doesn't work out, we can always go back home. But that's not quite how it works you know when you make a huge move like this um, it's not that easy to go back home Um, so you know 30 years on we're still here Uh, but I guess my view of the world really changed in terms of how I looked at um, you know the global north and how I found because I came here on a Saturday James and I went to university I want to do a master's in environmental engineering and I started at UNSW on the Monday Um, and uh, yeah very quick (laughs) I I just do things I don't wait too much to to analyze it Uh, but what I saw there in the school of civil and environmental engineering was just one female academic and I thought that this was kind of a very male-dominated profession only in Pakistan Um, and things haven't changed much since in the last 30 years so you know I slowly realized that there was so much here that needed to be done and of course corruption in politics like where do you even start? Um, so I think I've, I've come to a very different view of you know how things are across the world and the one thing and I don't kind of highlight the differences or the similarities between Pakistan and Australia um, you know to, um, to kind of to be divisive or anything I think for me the realization was that this kind of struggle for equality and to make the world a more honest place and for politicians to be accountable is a universal struggle and there is something to be said about working collectively on that
0: i um i want to ask you so you 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 came into politics eight years ago well actually firstly let's just go back a step so you, you you came here you um, studied engineering, you worked as an engineer for a couple of decades, yep. some time, and I've, I've studied and I work as an engineer too. And um, engineering is very much, we're taught to solve problems and quite often there's a right answer. Mm. You know, you're, you're given a, an acute set of circumstances, you, you crunch the numbers enough and you'll come up with the solution on finding the, the correct answer and there's mm. a right and a wrong and I'm curious to understand your experience working as an engineer and then stepping into the world of politics and addressing these much broader mm-hmm. social problems. And there's a, a, you can't approach it with the same mindset. You can't just solve this problem and then there's a right answer. How, is, how, has, that been, how has that experience been for you working in the world of engineering and then switching to politics mm-hmm. and addressing some of these issues that we face?
1: Yeah, it's been tough. It really <laughs> has. Um, but, you know, I must say I love engineering. I did my civil engineering in Pakistan. And, I mean, I, I, my dad was an engineer. We're a weird family where the father is an engineer and all his four kids are engineers as well. And all of us are civil engineers. And I married a civil engineer and my daughters a civil engineer. And my father-in-law was a civil engineer. So <laughs> I think I had no escape from it, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I did also, and I don't know where that actually came from. For me, yes, engineering is very solutions oriented. But I understood pretty quickly that those technological or engineering solutions are pretty meaningless if you don't take the community along with you or if they can be implemented. You know, so for instance, we are in the midst of a climate emergency. We have the technological solutions for that in terms of renewable energy, for instance, which is one way to go. But... In Australia, we're nowhere near where we should be. We're still kind of digging up coal and gas. I was just at a protest this morning in Byron where we are protesting a license to drill gas off the coast of Newcastle. And so communities and the surf riders and all are going through coastal towns this week and doing a big paddle out. To try and convince the government that communities don't want this, um, because you know coal and gas—they're like last century—but uh, solutions there, no implementation. So I did realize pretty quickly that you know you can't really just come up with technological solutions and expect someone else to then do the hard yards of implementing them. But my frustration, coming from a science and engineering background, my frustration in Parliament and it was the same frustration in New South Wales Parliament as well, that evidence is so quickly abandoned for political expediency. Like political parties just remain so narrowly in their mandate um, that, you know, sometimes I think that what we call parliamentary debate is really a misnomer because they come into the place having already made a decision, whereas, you know, that those chambers should be a place of debate and to change each other's positions on that. And, you know, the concept of community engagement has just ended, really. Community consultation has become a tick box exercise, exercise in, um, you know, some sort of a very um, bureaucratic process. And for me, this is where my heart is. Obviously, I have a role to play within um, Canberra. And you know, I'm I very very honoured to play that role. But unless I'm grounded in community, and unless I know what the community who I represent wants and have these conversations with the community, and that's where hearts and minds really are changed. So there is listening and hearing the community, and there is also, I guess, putting out some bold and courageous ideas and debating them with the community, and then taking that back into Parliament. That's what it's about, but what I see in there, I mean, there's, I think there's two engineers, one in the Senate and one, uh, for instance, in the lower house, Mostly lawyers, mostly career politicians. And I think that's the big issue as well, James. It's, it's not just that people may, might not have the expertise. It's that people haven't lived the lives that we live in our streets and suburbs. So they don't have those experiences. And that's why they come up with things like, you know, if you're homeless, why don't you just buy a house? Or education. Yeah, exactly. Or, or move. Oh, yeah, move. exactly, yeah. just move or, you know, education is not a right. Everyone should have to pay for the privilege of being educated. Well, I don't see it that way and many people I talk to don't see it that way. Um, both housing and education are universal, basic human rights and that's what we need to change. There's a big challenge ahead of us.
0: You came into politics eight years ago and you did your maiden speech... In the Senate three years ago? Yes, two and a half years ago. Two and a half, ago, and a half yeah. years ago. And I rewatched that recently in prep for this conversation. And you were, it was a beautiful speech, by the way. Thank you, you. were very vocal about um, the issues of facing racism and sexism and calling them out and facing them head on. And I want to ask you first of all, what has your experience been, mm-hmm. your personal experience been? with racism and and sexism, particularly in the political and um, public realm. And then secondly, since that speech, which was only two and a half years ago, have things gotten better Mm. or are they getting worse? Oh,
1: where do I start Mm. with that one? So I guess experience of racism started from day one probably coming to Australia. But for me, I just always, I didn't want to go there. And, you know, when I reflect back, there were many reasons why I didn't want to go there. It was about, firstly, you think, oh, no, maybe I said something wrong. You know, earlier I spoke about my view of Australia and that Australia had reached equality and there was no discrimination is what I thought. Um, And so I took the blame and said, no, I must have done something wrong for that person or that thing to happen to me. then I I would say, no, people are just ignorant, you know. They need to learn more about other cultures and other people and things will be fine. And then when it finally dawned on me, because by then also I knew a lot more about colonisation in Australia and the dispossession and the violence that First Nations people um, have been subjected to since since then, Um, I realised, no, this is actually discrimination and racism. But I still didn't want to say something about it because I wanted to fit in. You know, I didn't want to be a troublemaker. Life is hard enough when you migrate here. Like, my husband and I are both engineers, as I said. We came here, and before we came here, the Australian um, kind of embassy in Pakistan, the officials there told us that Australia really needs engineers, and there's many jobs for engineers. But when we came came here, the, all the doors were shut. We were told we didn't have Australian experience, so we couldn't get jobs like How do you get Australian experience when no one is willing to give you that experience? And, you know, that's not a unique story. So my husband started driving a taxi and, you know, I started studying. We had a one-year-old son. Obviously, we could not afford early childhood learning or childcare. So I think that's when I found my... Political fate in Australia, because a few of us at the University of New South Wales got together, a few of our students, and we lobbied the university to start up a cooperative childcare centre, um, and we did do that, and that centre is still running after 30 years. Um, so you know that. So that's where I found my activism in Australia. Uh, but you know, and since starting in this uh, in New South Wales Parliament, the kind of hate and backlash that I get on social media, so Twitter, Facebook, email, phone calls to my office and even handwritten letters. Mm. Like who writes letters these days? Very few, well, yeah. great. I hope not the ones, I hope not the ones that I receive. <laughs> I'm sure they're not the ones that I receive. But like full of full of hate, Just beca- it's not about things I say on policy, it's about who I am. Mm. It's hate because I wasn't born here. And, you know, what right do I have to represent, um, you know, people in Australia? It's hate because I'm brown. It's hate because I'm a woman. And there's this real toxic mix when sexism and racism intersect. Um, and it's hate because I'm a Muslim. So, I mean, it just shows you that kind of my citizenship of, or my Australianness, is very conditional on what I... Things I say... Like, I'm not allowed to say the things anyone else in Australia might be. But I do think that a lot of it has increased since I've come here. Mm. Especially, I think, um, since the start of this century, when politicians, and I will say this, the politicians from both major parties tried, they really politicized 9 11 and tried to create division between communities here for their own advantage. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm in a parliament with politicians who openly say that, you know, we should stop Muslims from migrating to Australia. I mean, what did we see a few days ago? It was a ban on cit- Indian citis- Australian citizens in India who can't come here. I mean, we're left to get sick and die in India, even though we have a responsibility for them. And that again shows that if you are non-white, your citizenship will always remain conditional. Mm. Um, you know, on when the uh, w- when you, our white leaders want us to be here and not want us to be here. And refugees and asylum seekers is such a clear and cogent example of how we think about people of color. Mm. I mean, they've been dehumanized for so long by politicians, by the media. Um, you know, they are a risk to national security, we are told. They're not like us, we are told. And again vast majority of them are people who look like me. So where it all stems from though we have to say and we can never deal with this issue unless there is justice for First Nations because that's where it starts and I think we are so far behind James in a sense um, that here we're not even willing to acknowledge that there are institutional systems of racism that exist in Australia. Why else would First Nations people be dying in custody? Why else would we have over-incarceration of First Nations people? Why else do they have a disadvantage in terms of education, in terms of health? Why else do First Nations people die 10 years before other people in this country? But we're not willing to... Ex- when we say we, I say that the so-called political leaders don't even want to accept that. Mm. So
0: how do we move beyond it? And and I feel like with these issues, our so-called political leaders um, try to just kind of straight bat a lot of these issues and treat them as separate Mm -hmm. you know okay well for in terms of indigenous quality we're going to create this close the gap campaign and in terms of um you know rampant sexism and obscene Mm -hmm. behavior i'm going to call a meeting with Mm -hmm. you know or ask Brittany higgins to call a meeting with me (laughs) you know um and what, what i'm hearing from you is that these are not separate distinct issues they are all linked and they are co- coming mm-hmm. from the same mindset. And I actually, um, in the lead up to Fest we had a few little roadshow kind of satellite events. And one of the, the um, other amazing people that I had a conversation with was Mandy Nolan, who's you know, running for our federal seat of Richmond in the upcoming federal election. And she, she said an incredible quote. She said, in the way that she does, there's no coincidence that a country built on colonization with no treaty with its First Nations people has a parliament besieged with rape culture, mm-hmm. and she she then went to say it's very on brand, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know, and and what I'm hearing from you is that we can't just say, well, this is the issue, and that engineering mindset. How do we solve it? And here's mm-hmm. another issue, and how do we solve it? And how do we p- spot fire? We've actually got to go. No, this requires a complete rethink and redesign of our entire mentality yeah. and how we how we operate with each other.
1: Completely, completely, and that's I mean you've hit the nail on the head, James really has because. What we do is we've been kind of sidelining the complexity of these issues and the interconnection that they have. Um, So let's talk about the climate crisis that we are in. It is not just an environmental issue per se. climate crisis and the impacts that the climate crisis is having is so inextricably linked with racism and with sexism. And why I say that is because the people who are bearing the brunt, who are on the front line of the climate crisis are people living in the global south and women here as well as in the global south. Um, So, you know, here we say, oh, we're in a climate emergency now, but I can tell you in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, we were in a climate emergency 20 years ago. You know, the intensity of floods has been increasing. Um, You know, the intensity of natural disasters has been increasing for a very long time. Um, Here as well, you know, it is people, let's say, in Western Sydney, where it's a lot of people of color, migrant communities. They have been feeling literally the heat for many, many years now. And, and women, why I say women, because in a lot of um, the, you know, Global South countries, women have the responsibility to bring water and, you know, f- firewood and all that for homes. And that's getting harder and harder to find. They have to travel much longer to find water or to find firewood. And that means that they have much less time to, to earn an income or to be educated. So when we talk about the climate crisis, it definitely isn't just an environmental issue. It is as much related to social justice, and we can't solve these issues by having isolated solutions. So I often talk about, you know, the, the, the you know issue of environmental kind of justice or environmental problem solving. And if you look at history, what we've done is actually just put band-aids. Mm. Um, so we have a problem. It, it started with pollution, chimney stacks from factories what did we do we put a um, you know a treatment facility to treat the pollution that comes out uh, we have water um, kind of polluted water coming out of sewage plants or whatever we put at the end of the pipeline we've put a treatment device and that hasn't really solved the root cause of why we're spewing out carbon dioxide into the environment and and you have to say it is rampant capitalism it is neoliberalism mm. You know, it is making a profit for a few people around the world who provide donations to politicians to keep them in their job. And that revolving door of when the politicians leave parliament, then they get plum jobs in those same corporations. We haven't solved that problem. We haven't solved the problem of overconsumption in societies like ours. Well, probably not this one. You're doing fabulously. And it's incredible to see kind of zero waste um, in this festival. But of course, we are a, a throwaway society. Mm. And so we, we, cannot, we cannot hope to deal with the climate crisis or racism or sexism as isolated issues and jump from one to the other when a scandal emerges. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, sexism and racism has been part and parcel of parliament for you know, the 100 years. It's been in existence. I mean, I can tell you that place drips in white male power. It really does. And I have been ashamed to walk in there every day this year. I really have been. Because it's supposed to be the house of the people of this country. And what it has been revealed to be is a house of harassment and bullying and sexual assault. Um, And I just found out um, actually a few weeks ago that the Senate, the chamber that I work in, um, it comes from a Greek word, which means old man. And I just thought, well, you know, kind of that says it all Mm. uh, in that sense. So, you know, we need to change the system, but we also need to change the people within that system. And there should be people in there who have the experiences, who represent the diversity of experiences that all of us have. Otherwise, it's going to be really difficult. And you all have that power. We are still a democracy, less so, I think, than maybe 30 or 50 years ago but we still have that power, and I think that's what we should always remember, that the power of the people is always greater than those supposedly in power.
0: Mm. Here, here. I think your point about um, you said before you use the example of 9-11 and, and politicians using that to try to drive a wedge and drive mm. division mm. and I think we're seeing that in a similar way in I- in every movement mm-hmm. but you could say environmentalism, you talked about that and trying to put a box mm. around environment and if we can just solve that problem and put a, we'll put a band-aid over that, if we can just cut the emissions yep. or capture the emissions and pump them underground, that'll get that I number know. down and we can keep going with our lifestyle and I think what it's saying is that we can, we can fix it, and if we do that, we don't have to change, mm-hmm. is where yeah. that mentality is coming from.
1: It, it is, but in Australia, and sadly, they're not even trying to fix that. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. where in leaps and bounds, other countries are moving towards, you know, renewable energy targets and, you know, really ambitious ones. We're not even willing to do that.
0: So... I don't know, any ideas welcome people, (laughs) really. Well, well, I was going to ask you, I think, um, I know you've got to catch a flight to Sydney, but I do want to ask you two more questions before you go And One is, I guess, a bit top down and one is bottom up. Mm. So, let's imagine, you know, you're a senator, but let's imagine that um, you become prime minister for a day. Maybe there's a clause in the constitution, we never (laughs) saw it, it was on the back page where every senator gets over date. That would be awful, actually, thinking about that, but... Um, in your case, when your day comes, I'd like to know what, what policies would you like to implement? What decisions would you make? What would you want to do?
1: <laughs> a day is a very short time yeah. to fix what we have. <laughs> but I think the first thing to do would be to have treaties with First Nations people. peoples. That's where we need to start, really. There is no doubt in my mind that that's where we need to start. But, you know, I, I want, no matter what some of my kind of haters, if I can call them that, think. But I really want Australia to be the best place that we can be. You know, I I, I want us to care for the environment because the environment has a right to be cared for, not b- because of what it can give us. You know, I really do want, um, you know, Australia to be a feminist and an anti-racist country. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, 100 years men have ruled us in those parliaments. I think... They just need to step aside and let women have a go for another hundred years and see what we do then. (laughs) Um, But to be able to do that, I think there's so many things that we can do very quickly. And COVID-19, actually last year, showed us of how it is actually political will that it's stopping us from doing those things. Because very quickly when COVID hit, even the Liberal government implemented Greens policies. You know, of making childcare free for a few months, of increasing uh, support for those who need it, you know, not the $40 a day that they have to, you know, survive on, but which they can't. So all those things happened with a stroke of a pen. Mm. We can make housing a human right so that everyone has a roof over their head. We can make education absolutely free from early childhood education to school to university to TAFE. Um, these are universal services like healthcare. You know, at the end of the day, every person living in Australia should have what they need to live a good life. And we know what those things are. Um, And of course, with the climate crisis, you know, you can invest very quickly in renewable energy and do that. But, you know, what I want to say also is that renewable energy alone, in the way it's being done across the world where corporations uh, you know, making again the same billions that they've made from coal and gas, I feel is not the way forward. Yes, absolutely. We've got to move to 100 percent renewable energy. But it should be done without exploiting people who work for those companies and without raping and pillaging the earth as we do for other resources. And that's what I mean that, that you know, when I say it can be done together, mm. it's, it's part of this whole system. And we can't do just one thing without the other. People talk about moments in life. And people are talking about, you know, we are in a moment. And I think we are in a number of moments at, at this time. We are in the climate crisis moment. We are in the Black Lives Matter moment. We are in a moment where women's rights are at their peak. I have not seen so much talk about how, for instance, the budget that is going to be announced on Tuesday should be a woman-focused budget. So we have to grasp these moments with gusto and just not back off. There is a lot of rage in the community at the moment. And we've got to turn that rage into action and activism right now. We cannot go backwards from these moments. We really can't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. There should be no billionaires in this world. Can I say that? There's absolutely yes. no justification for I that.
0: I 100% agree with that. When I see the the headlines of Andrew Forrest is investing in hydrogen and he's going to save us all from the climate crisis, alarm bells ring. And I go, this is absolutely. just another Band-Aid yeah. masquerading as totally. green technology to save totally. us all. When the yeah. real issue is this centralization of power and wealth and resources and control yep. over all of society. So... If we can, here we are gathered here. We've got such an amazing, progressive, um, active community here. If you can leave us with, with one thing, you know, or, or a couple of things, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What what do we need to do? And if this truly is a moment where we can act and we can take that control back, what do we need to do? Mm. You know what is giving me the most
1: hope these days is our young people. I had not seen something as inspiring as those students. Uh, on strike who came out of schools a couple of years ago and you know crowded the streets of almost every town and city in Australia you know these young people they don't take bullshit they're not willing they're not willing for us to slowly have incremental change they're out there demanding for urgent and radical action right now and I think that's what we need to do there's no time to kind of fluff around the edges Um, There's no time for let's make this small change in two years and then we'll make another small change in another five years. That's not the way to do things. But I think the first thing we can all do is kick this liberal government out at the next election. I think that'll that'll be a great thing to do. That really will. And choose your politicians wisely. But, you know, politicians also can do only so much. I think action happens at the community level when we collectively sit down and we decide that things can change. They do change. And I'll just finish off with one example. I was in the Liverpool Plains in breeza earlier in the week celebrating with the Gomorrah people and the farmers the cancellation of the watermark coal mines license. And I've been involved in that campaign for years. And when we started, we never thought it would happen. But because of that resilience and commitment and activism and courage and boldness of that community, it's gone. It is gone. So things can change, but we have to fight hard for that change. So let's fight for the future. Thanks so much, everyone.
0: How wonderful that we have such a... a Act, activist advocate, a wonderful political representative who's got I'm going to let her go because she's got to catch a plane because she's got to get back to back to parliament to fight for all of these issues for us. Um, but what I'm hearing is that we can do, the things that we can do, we can obviously use our vote, We our vote matters, we have to get together and we have to vote the people in, the leaders that we want in at the top and on the grassroots level, that bottom up approach attending these rallies, attending these protests. The Stop Pep one was this morning at the Paddle Out this morning at Byron. There's the No Minds Clarence Valley. There are these community grassroots campaigns. There's the No Danone Dam. They're here today. There are so many of these campaigns that we can get involved in, and they work. So that's a wonderful message to leave us. We can, we can solve this from both the top and the bottom. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Well, please join me in thanking once again Senator Maureen for Thank you. Thank you
1: so much. Su- such a privilege to be with you all, and I'll take all this energy back to me, to Can, back with me to Canberra on Monday. Thank you, everyone, and hopefully see you soon. Thanks, James, as well. Thank you.